Our scripture reading can be found in the Black Pew Bibles on page 452. And again, it's Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you. So this is not a political statement, not at all, so don't misconstrue this. But fake news seems to be all the rage these days, doesn't it? A quick scan of Wikipedia defines fake news like this. News written with the intent to mislead. Our country is full of that now. The trouble is, how do you know if the fake news is fake or if the allegation of fake news is itself fake? We live in a world of emptiness, of vanity, of straight-up lies. It's hard to know where to turn for the actual truth. CNN tells you it's them. Fox News says, not so fast. And then all the major news outlets want their piece of the pie, too. So how do we know? Seems like the truth is increasingly getting out of reach. Well, Psalm 12 is tailor-made and God-breathed to help us sort through the fog of fake news and set our sights on the truth. Psalm 12 never promises that the fog of deceit will dissolve in your lifetime, but it does teach us how to live faithfully in the midst of the fog of all the fake news. See, the world around us wants to mislead us. They want to tell us lies about what is truly important, what is most valuable. And we all need help sifting through what's fake and what's real. Psalm 12 is a tool in your tool belt for just that. So we don't know the exact circumstances uh, that David was going through, working through in his life whenever he penned these words. It must have been a challenging season for him, though. He felt alone. He felt abandoned. He felt very confused. You can see that there in verse 1. And as Christians, this is often our lot too, isn't it? Following in Jesus' footsteps means experiencing the same sorts of difficulties that he experienced. He didn't have a place to lay his head. When he went home, his own family and people rejected him. Someone had to lend him a place to be born and a place to be buried. He didn't even have friends that would pray with him. They chose sleep. At the end of his life, he had 15 or 20 friends and a mom to his name. That's a lonesome departure from this life. And that's what David is feeling here. In verse 1, there's no one godly left. The faithful have vanished. So here's what he preaches to himself. First this morning, fake news is bad news. Fake news is bad news. So I think there are three kinds of fake news that our text 
highlights today that we need to be aware of just as David was. It's vanity, flattery, and blasphemy. Vanity, flattery, and blasphemy. Look there in verse 2. Everyone utters lies. The idea behind that word lies there in the original language is vanity. Really just like emptiness. Everyone utters emptiness to his neighbor. You could read that. So David looked around him and he observed that there was no worth to any of the words that anyone was saying. Sometimes the words were untrue and sometimes they were just empty, valueless. Vanity is a preoccupation with the here and now. Vanity believes that the only thing is the now thing. Vanity is fake good news. It says, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Vanity says, this life is it. That's all there is. Once you breathe your last, that's it. So live it up like there's no tomorrow. Live it up like there is no God and no accountability at the end of this life. That's fake news, and that's really bad news. Because the world doesn't have an answer for the brokenness that marks it right now. It has medicine for it, but it does not have the cure. It has medicine that says numb the pain. Numb it with sex, numb it with drugs, numb it with alcohol abuse, numb it with wealth. But the trouble is, bad, th- that's bad news because medicine is never ever a long-term cure. It's only a short-term solution for this problem. So all the tweets and the texts and the Netflix binges, are, are any of those things truly weighty, long-lasting, significant for eternity, much less even for a year from now? I'm not saying that we don't need downtime. I'm not arguing that we shouldn't take time for refreshment and amusement. I am saying, though, that most of us have a preoccupation with emptiness at times. Neil Postman was a sociologist who wrote one of our generation's most penetrating books, I think. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. He wasn't a Christian, but he wrote this in 1985, way back before Netflix and social media. He said, Americans no longer talk to each other. They entertain each other. They do not exchange ideas. They exchange images. They do not argue with propositions. They argue with good looks, celebrities, and commercials. The result is that we are a people on the verge of amusing ourselves to death. And I'd argue that it's even worse than this theoretical societal death that he's referring to. We're on the verge of numbing ourselves with amusement, all the way into a Christless eternity because we're obsessed with vanity as a culture. The deceitfulness of vanity lies in ascribing value to what has no value or less value than what we ascribe to it. I mean, you don't even want to know what the top 10 viewed YouTube videos in the world are right now. I looked it up this week, more than 35 billion views in just those 10 videos, and honestly, I was legitimately embarrassed for humanity. Not that I don't love a good jam when I hear one, but our culture is obsessed with empty stuff. And I'm afraid we Jesus followers get sucked into it too, a lot. I know I do. So what is the bad news about fake news? It's trivial. It's empty. It's just medicine and not a solution. And the sad thing is that we are often more comfortable with vanity than we are with eternity. 
speaking of vanity, full disclosure, I usually get my news from Twitter. Uh, and a few months back, I followed this one tweeter. What do you call them? He tweets. He, I think it's a he. It might be a she. But the, the, the tweeter is called Your Daily Death Reminder. It's a very uplifting contribution to society. But just this past week, I had my Bible out in the early morning hours trying to drink in the life-giving stream of God's Word when my phone buzzed. And then I set the eternal down in pursuit of the mundane, unable for the moment to shake my curiosity and stay focused on what God had for me in that moment. So one minute of scrolling turned into four, turned into five, until I finally hit my daily death reminder tweet. Every day, for as long as that account has existed, it just says, you will die someday. You will die someday. You will die someday. And that is what I needed in that moment to jar me out of my vain pursuit. Death is coming. I clicked off the phone and I started drinking again. And do you know, for as morbid as that sort of sounds, it's actually really jarring and really helpful to be reminded of the brevity of our life. Satan's whole ploy is to trivialize the good news of the gospel with the vanity of emptiness. That's what he wants to do. The whole goal is to keep us from answering life's most important questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What happens after death? What is the purpose of life? He wants to keep us from considering those questions. There's another brand of fake news here. It's flattery. Look at verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. A culture obsessed with vanity will inevitably give way to flattery. Flattery is saying only what other people want to hear and only listening to what you want to hear other people say. So when we lose sight of what is the true good news of Jesus, when we loosen our grip on that and instead begin to tighten our grip on the vanities of our day, we begin to lose sight of what truly matters. We only hear what we want to hear and then we become unable to hear what we need to hear. We just want to be affirmed. Don't challenge me. Just affirm me. This is the mantra of our day, isn't it? As flattery increases, faith decreases. In John 5, Jesus confronts the Pharisees for this very thing. He says, how can you believe when you receive the glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? So of course that flattery is very prevalent out there. The danger is out there. But I found remnants of it in my own heart. I find it to be true personally. When I surrender my time with Jesus, day after day after day, and submit myself to the flattering words of the world rather than the pure words of the Lord through this book, when I do that day after day after day in favor of sleep or entertainment or you name it, whatever, when I do that, my appetite for this book begins to wane. You've probably felt the same thing. I'm far less interested in eternity than I am in vanity. I pick up the phone and I start scrolling instead. It's just, it's just more interesting. I find myself way rathering to press snooze or to press play than I want to press into God. And when that happens, I'm far more prone to wanting to hear flattering words and avoid challenging words. My heart has been given over to flattery. When we lose sight of the value of King Jesus and life in him, when we lose that, we begin to find it much easier to flatter our friends, maybe even in this room, 
our colleagues, ourselves, other members of the church, we find it way easier to flatter them than to actually speak the truth to them. But we don't, we don't actually need flatterers here at Trinity. We don't need flattery. We need truth tellers, people who will say these words right into your face and feed your soul. If you're wandering down a path that's going to prove dangerous for your soul, you don't need a flatterer. You don't need someone to tell you it's going to be okay. You need someone to tell you the truth. You need an honest brother or sister who loves you more than they love what you think of them. Listen to what God's people wanted in Isaiah 30 here. Isaiah says, For there are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the prophets, Do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Let us hear no more about this Holy One of Israel. And may God grant Trinity a church membership that doesn't ache for smooth things, for flattering things, but for true things. If we ever start to shy away from what God says from this place right here, from this pulpit, you should hightail it out of here. I'm serious. Get away as fast as you can. We may not always say it well, but make sure that we're saying it, please. Imagine an attractive, well-manicured, very professionally dressed man or woman walking into a doctor's office. Imagine they've had a CT scan, and the truth is very grim. But there's some small ray of hope for recovery. But imagine the doctor who can't get past his patient's threads, who just can't stop talking about their Rolex or that Kate Spade purse. Is Kate Spade cool? I don't know. That nice purse, that Armani suit, or that slick haircut, who's unwilling to bear bad news because, the doctor who is unwilling to bear bad news because of how it might affect that person's feelings, much less their physical body. Man, that doctor should be disbarred. And can I say this gently? A Christian who acts that way should be disbarred. We need one another, not to hear flattery, but to hear truth. When we say that we are all about community here, at Trinity. We mean it, but we don't just mean that we hang out and watch the Eagles together, though we should do that. We don't just go to movies together, though we should do that, or play, or whatever it is that you do together. Those are all good things. They help cultivate community, but they're not what we actually mean by community. We mean flattery-free, faithful, gospel-rich words to be spoken into the hearts of one another, by one another. But this will only happen if you reject the vanity of this day in pursuit of the last day. It will only happen if you have been so taken by God's affection for you that you don't mind losing out on the affections of others. There's fake news of vanity, there's a fake news of flattery, and there's a fake news of blasphemy. Look at verse 4. There are those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? So there's another lie that humanity tells itself right here. It's one we dove into pretty deeply last week from Psalm 2. We won't spend too much time here, but humanity tells itself that it answers to no one. We blaspheme God by acting like he doesn't even exist. We pretend that our bodies are our own, and we can do what we want to with them. Specifically here, the psalmist describes those whose lips are with us. I think maybe a clear understanding of that might be those whose who claim that their lips are their own, whose lips are our own. 
is the meaning behind that phrase. So humanity chafes under the control of God, don't they? Much like a beast of burden chafes under the control of its yoke, constantly trying to shrug it off of him. Trinity, we lie to ourselves when we tell ourselves that our lips are our own to do with what we want. They are not. Our lips are our king's. And he has high hopes and grand plans for how you use your lips and your tongue. By God's grace, we can use our mouths to give bad news to the fake news. The Spirit through David gives us some tools right here to expose and to protect us from the dangers of fake news. Look at there in verses 3 and 4. Pray against the fake news. This is basically a make it stop, Lord, kind of prayer. Stop. And I'd encourage you to add this kind of prayer to your own prayer list. Lord, cause the vanity and the flattery and the blasphemy to dissolve and cause the truth of the gospel to reign, to win the day, to save souls, and to cause our world to flourish. Pray that just as David does right here in verses 3 and 4. So the bad news for fake news is that if God's people pray, he will hear and he will act. Look at verse 5 there. God himself answers and says, I will arise. When the good news of the gospel clashes with the fake news of our world, there is a certainty in the end about who wins. Good wins, God wins, Jesus wins. Sin loses, death loses, and so does Satan. So pray this way with the certainty of the end in view. That's what we do. We pray against the fake news. And number two this morning, we pursue God's good news. Fake news is bad news because it doesn't offer you a solution. It offers you medicine. But God's words are good news. Contrast the hmm, truth-twisting society in verses 1 to 4 with the truth-speaking God of verse 5, and the different results are staggering. Imagine for a moment a world without vanity, without emptiness, without flattery, without blasphemy. If you remove those things from our current culture, a lot of the mess that we're in right now would, I think, dissolve. The pain brought about by the deceitful words that David's talking about here, compare that with the healing brought about by the Lord of pure words. The deceit brings about poverty and plundering, in verse 5, the truth brings about flourishing and safety and salvation. In verse 1 and verse 7. If you're not flushing your system with the pure words of God, there's bound to be a buildup in your soul of vanity and of flattery and maybe even of some subtle blasphemy that you don't even realize is there. My body is mine, I can do with it what I want. Some subtle blasphemy. We need consistent exposure to the pure words verse 6 refers to there. And then look at the assurance the Lord speaks into this desperation that David is feeling. He says, now I will rise up. Now I'm going to fix this. But what do you do with that now there? Doesn't that just disconcert you just a little bit? Now. Does it ring a little bit hollow to you this morning? Like, God, do you even know what now means? Do you get it? If you do, what are you waiting on? Please, come fix this mess. Save us. Well, I think what is happening here is that the stress is not on the immediacy of the relief, but on the certainty of the word. Now, I'm going to fix this. 
I'm going to make this right. But in the meantime, I will preserve you. I will run to your aid. I will be with you. And I think this is the understanding of that now, mostly because of what we see there in verse 8. David ends the psalm with, On every side the wicked are still prowling. Vileness is still exalted among the children of man. So God is preserving even while the world is rebelling. So I think what verse 5 is probably relaying is that the Lord will, is what the Lord will say at the end of time when his full and decisive deliverance for his people has been completed. The physical relief we seek often isn't immediate, but it is certain. In the end, it will all be made right. But the spiritual relief that you seek is immediate. It is certain, and it lasts forever. There is safety for your soul in Jesus. What an amazing relief to have a steadfast God in the midst of all the fake news of our day. Something sure that you can lean on. We can hold tightly to the good news even while fake news rules the day. That's why this psalm starts out with, save, Lord. You ever just pray prayers like that? Just like simple two-word prayers. Man, it is totally cool to pray two-word prayers. Help, God. Help me. Save me. Pray that way. Talk with God during your day. God's word says some things that are hard for us to hear. But they are never to harm us. They're to heal us. So I wonder how often you're putting yourself in a position to be healed by the living words of God. God's words are pure, like perfectly purified silver. Beautiful, worthy, weighty, valuable. Give yourself to God's words. Those 35 billion YouTube views tell a different story. Those views, those videos, tell the story of what humanity values. Vanity and not eternity. Trinity, we need to put ourselves in a position to be healed by God's words rather than harmed by the world's words. And parents, it's on you to help your kids learn to value these words too. It's our job to raise them to be arrows that pierce the darkness with the light of the living word of God. And they can't do that by constantly being in front of YouTube. They need, these, they need these words. Fake news is bad news. God's words are good news. And David closes with kind of like a gut check, a reality check. Real news for real life. I was talking with someone about the sermon this morning, and they're like, man, Psalm 12 ends on a, like a dun-dun-dun. And it kind of feels that way. But I think it's actually kind of helpful. I think one of the wonderful gifts of the Psalms is their straight-up realism. They don't bat their eyes about how jacked up our world is right now. They level with us rather than setting us up to dash our hopes. It's realistic in the way it presents apparent paradoxes. The Lord saves us from the mess, not by removing us from it, but by walking with us in it. That's how you make sense of the tension between verses 7 and 8 there. Our society is going to keep on blaspheming. They're going to keep acting like the loving, living God isn't a thing. They will strut. They will swagger. You will limp. And Jesus, by his spirit, through his church, is going to keep walking with you, even in the midst of it. That's real good news for actual real life. 
And that's how we can press on even while we wait until God's now. Now I'm going to fix this. We can wait until God's now finally does arrive. He will one day make all things new again. He will guard you. He will keep you. He will save you. So cling to God's real good news even as you live in a world drowning in fake news. Will you pray pray with me this morning? Lord, we need help just about every moment of every day discerning what is valuable, weighty, and wonderful and what will one day burn or go up in smoke. And I pray that you just give us You give us wisdom to see that. Give us the faith to believe that your words are valuable and will one day turn an eternal profit. The seeds we sow now in faith will one day reap a great crop, and I pray that you would give us faith to see that. In Jesus' name.